Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We've been talking in recent weeks about um, the blessing, and we've been talking uh, in really introducing this whole trimester, the last four months of this year, about how much God wants to bless us and about how to receive a, a blessing and so on. I think, if I'm correct, this is, this is the fourth or fifth, I don't know actually, week of this series. But today I, I want to start what's going to end up being a two-week message about how to give a blessing. And I, I hope that you're going to find this interesting and really meaningful for your life. I, I pray so. I've been praying this week that this would be very meaningful for you. So the, the classic text for this part of this blessing discussion is the story of Jacob receiving the blessing of his father, Isaac. Many of you will know this story. It's, it's very well known. So I'll just introduce it briefly. Uh, so Isaac, pardon me, Abraham was chosen by God out of everyone in the world and blessed in a very unique way. He had a son named Isaac. Uh, Isaac had sons, uh, uh, including Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were twins. Esau was the firstborn twin. He beat Jacob into the world by like a minute or so, if I remember correctly. And uh, the time came for, uh, for Jacob to pass his blessing on to his son, as was the custom in that day. Uh, the blessing would be passed on to the eldest son. Esau was the firstborn, therefore, even though a twin, considered to be the eldest. Doesn't hardly seem fair in today's world, but that's, that's the way it was. One of the things, by the way, that's interesting uh, is that in the New Testament, we are taught through Jesus that all of us receive the inheritance of the firstborn son. Men, women, all of us, every one of us in God's eyes are his firstborn child in this regard. But 4,000 years ago in that very patriarchal society, it's impossible to uh, overstate how important the giving of the blessing was. Now, there's something important that, that happened prior to this, and this was that Jacob, the secondborn, had already, um, I guess, deceived his brother into giving him his birthright. Now, a distinction needs to be made between birthright and blessing. The birthright was a double inheritance that was given to the firstborn son. And you will remember how that Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a pot of porridge. So he's already lost the birthright. The birthright, the birthright is, is about money, if you please, and land and things. And Esau has lost this. But what Esau is hoping for now is to inherit the blessing of his father, which you'll note end up, ends up becoming more important to him, it appears, than the birthright had been. Well, Isaac has gotten old. He actually is going to go on to live another 40 years or so, which is interesting. But he's gotten old, and he's gotten to the place where he can't see, and he wants to give his blessing to his firstborn son Esau. And so he sends Esau out to hunt game as Esau was wont to do, to prepare a special meal and to set up a, 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 a feast at which, at which Isaac will bless his son. Well, uh, while Esau is gone, Rebekah and Jacob, the second son, conceive a plan to actually get the blessing that Isaac intended for Esau. And they trick 
Isaac into thinking Jacob was Esau by the way that the food was prepared and, and uh, by wearing Esau's clothing and by, in other ways, um, taking on the characteristics of Esau. And Jacob shows up in the room with his father, uh, and I say all of that to get to this, uh, this point, so he proceeded to bless him. Isaac proceeded to bless Jacob. His father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, thinking he was Esau, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son, now here are words of blessing, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. That was an eloquent and important thing to people in an agrarian culture. The smell of my son is like the smell of, of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Jacob received the blessing from Isaac. He left the room, Esau showed up, and learns that Jacob had received the blessing that was intended for him. And I want you to hear the passion in Esau when he discovers that he's not going to receive the blessing. Now he ends up receiving a blessing, but not the blessing. Esau burst out with a loud and bitter cry. This is a grown man, a strong man, a hunter, fisherman, go-after-it kind of a man. But he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But Isaac said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? The name means deceiver. This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And when Rebekah, their mother, and Jacob learned that Esau intended to kill him, they decided to send him away, which he ended up going away for a couple of decades before he came back to fully come into what had been promised to him. But before he was sent away, Isaac calls him back again and reiterates the blessing. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. May God Almighty, here it continues, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham. It's a big deal. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. Now, I mentioned a moment ago a couple quick observations that Isaac actually lived probably another 40 years. He actually lived to witness the blessing begin to be actualized in Jacob's life. It uh, seems noteworthy that he, he wanted to make sure that there was no doubt that his son received his blessing long before he died, and so he makes sure that it happens. And then it's fascinating to me that Esau is much more desperate over losing the blessing than he is the birthright. This is not about money and things. This is about the blessing of his father and receiving the generational blessing that had begun when God blessed Abraham. The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament said, see that no one is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son, the birthright. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. And this blessing has special import because it's now the blessing that was promised to Abraham that's being passed forward now to his grandson, Jacob. 
The desperation of Esau in this moment is a natural, normal human response if you understand the importance of this at all. Every human being has a tremendous need to receive the blessing. Now, first, we need to receive the blessing of God the Father. But then we also have a tremendous need to receive the blessing of our father and mother. And to a lesser but still important degree, we long to receive the blessing of our spouses and intimate friends and others with whom we are in meaningful relationship. Now, the story of Esau and Jacob is, is a, a very dramatic one, but it's not a one-off. This was a common occurrence in Scripture and seems to be a part of God's plan that, that a blessing would be given by one person in authority to someone else who was um, in relationship with them and often under their authority. Remember, as we've taught in recent weeks, that God began his relationship with humanity by blessing them. Remember, this is the very first thing that happens in Genesis 1. God creates human beings in his image, and then he blessed them. And then he assigns to them their purpose, and the human story begins to unfold in the story of, of our beginnings, God's history with humankind. And, and, and then as time moves forward, he, when he would choose someone and assign them a special purpose, for instance, Abraham, he, God would bless them. God blessed Abraham directly. We're told stories of this. He blessed Isaac directly. He blessed Jacob directly. We've covered that in recent weeks. But then these leaders who had been blessed by God would give their blessing to their children. And sometimes to others that they came in contact with. So blessing not only came from God to people, but from people to people. So let's define here for a moment uh, what uh, kind of an overview of what we mean when we talk about the blessing. In very general terms, uh, Dallas Willard wrote, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. It isn't just words. It's the actual putting forth of your will for the good of another person. In my words, I would say that a blessing in this sense includes the giving of unconditional love and unqualified acceptance. It is expressing how much a person is valued. It involves speaking good into someone's future in a way that has prophetic power in a way that can actually create reality, and it is acting to help bring that future to pass. I know that's a mouthful, and if, you're, if, you, if you've grabbed your life notes and you're taking notes and filling in the blanks, as I know many of you enjoy doing, hence the blanks have returned in recent times. I'll read this again. A blessing includes... The giving of unconditional love and unqualified acceptance, expressing how much a person is valued, speaking good into someone's future in a way that has prophetic power, in a way that creates reality, and it's acting to help bring that future to pass. Now, the giving of a blessing may be a one-time act. It may be that you decide as a parent that at some point there's some ceremonial giving of the blessing to your children. That's a beautiful thing. But for most of us, this is, this is, if we understand it properly, a way of life. We can decide to constantly bless those who are around us in these ways. I am incredibly fortunate because my parents have been blessing givers. And uh, by the way, hi to my mom and dad who watch every week's sermon 
And uh, I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon uh, for many years that they haven't watched, so hi. And uh, my, by the way, my wife's parents watch live stream every Sunday morning. Hi, Nani and Poppy. Uh, but my, uh, so, so let me just say how blessed I am that my parents have been blessing givers. I, I, I don't know why. But I uh, remember well uh, that my dad uh, gave me a book some years ago, and he inscribed on the, the, the front uh, uh, part of the book, he inscribed the words, to my son in whom I am well pleased. I don't know why, but hundreds and hundreds of times since I saw that inscribed in that book, I have heard my dad's words ring in my ears. And I can see in my mind his handwriting on the page of that book, to my son in whom I am well pleased. That wasn't a big ceremony. That was just the way that my parents have always spoken to me about me. Now, they also didn't hesitate to discipline me in ways <laughs> that would help me live up to their expectations for me, but on the whole, my parents have always spoken blessing into my life. When I speak to them today, and of course I speak to them regularly, um, their words are still uh, words of blessing as we're hanging up the phone. They, I'm sure, aren't consciously thinking about this. This is just who they are and how they feel about me and my sister. We're so proud of you. They'll still say to me as a 56-year-old man, you're a good man. God has really blessed your life. God has great blessings in store for you, Terry. We're praying for you. It's an amazing thing to live under the blessing of one's parents. And we all have a tremendous need to receive the blessings of others, especially our parents, but also those who are in authority over us and those with whom we are in meaningful relationships. I uh, have, <clears throat> many years ago, I read the book, uh, that's one of our recommended readings for this trimester, called The Blessing. It's written by John Trent and Gary Smalley. It is a classic. It's one of those few books that on the front cover says over a million copies sold. I mean, they, uh, this book has influenced millions and millions of people in a positive way over the years. And these guys have spent uh, years, decades, studying this subject, including John Trent actually earned his PhD in this subject matter. And in this book, they tell many stories of the desperation of adult children, for instance, to receive the blessings of their parent. A son at his father's deathbed, standing in the room watching his dad dying, saying, please wake up, dad. Tell me you love me. A daughter who never felt the unqualified love and acceptance of her mother and who carried that hurt into her relationship with her own daughter and so on. Story after story of adults longing for a blessing that they had not yet received. I'll read a little bit from this book. The family blessing provides that much-needed sense of personal acceptance. The blessing also plays a part in protecting and even freeing people to develop intimate relationships. Perhaps most important, it lays the foundation for a genuine and fulfilling relationship with God. This is especially important today in a culture that offers many forms of counterfeit blessing to young people. Cult and gang leaders have mastered the elements of the blessing. Our celebrity-saturated media falsely promises fulfillment and validation through money, fame, sex, and success. Children who grow up without a sense of parental acceptance are especially susceptible to be dra being drawn in by these counterfeit blessings. The best defense against imaginary acceptance is genuine acceptance. Genuine acceptance radiates from the concept of the blessing. 
However, the blessing is not just an important tool for parents to use. The blessing is also of critical importance for anyone who desires to draw close to another person in an intimate relationship. I didn't plan on saying this today, but I realize as I'm standing here talking to you about this, that this is very real for many people who are sitting in this room and may even uncover something you need that you've not been able to put words to. You might want to have the courage this week. You might want to have the courage this week to send a note to that person in your life that you, you need to be blessed by, understanding that doing so is an act of love for them because they need to bless you. And you might say, here's a book for you and send them this book, or here's a message that my pastor shared this past Sunday. I'd like for you to hear it. So I think that a parental blessing is particularly powerful and unique, and, I, and I'm going to take a little time to speak to parents today, but all of us, whether parents or not, have the ability and need to give a blessing to others. And those of us who have been blessed by God, who have received the blessing of our Heavenly Father, have an obligation and powerful potential to bless others. And that's why I say that we who are blessed have a tremendous need and capacity to bless others. So let me just speak to those of us who are believers. When we come into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, we receive the blessing of Adam and Eve. Again, I've taught about this in recent weeks. We come back into the blessing that God gave when he stood in the beginning and created humanity and blessed them. Through Jesus, we come back into that blessing. We are also told that we come into the blessing that was, that was given to Abraham and Abraham's seed. Uh, that Jesus, Galatians 3 says, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to be blessed, but it's also amazing to understand that part of this blessing, inherent in this idea of being blessed, is that, is that, is that the people around us are supposed to be blessed through us. We have an obligation to bless. If we're employers, somehow or another, we're finding a way uh, to bless the people who work for us. If, as employees, we're finding a way to bless the people we work with, and so on. There are these great stories in Scripture about how people, especially Abraham's seed, how that they who were living under blessing blessed people everywhere they went. So here are three quick examples. For instance, Jacob, when he left the presence of Isaac and Rebekah and, and went away for 20 years, he lived with his uncle Laban, and, 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 and Laban was so blessed by Jacob's presence that we're told Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He clearly wasn't, uh, if you please, a believer. But he had figured out that God was blessing him, and in this case, his business and his family, because of Jacob. And he said, name your wages and I'll pay them. He said, I'm so blessed because you're here that I'll pay you anything you want. I mean, that's a good place to be in, right, when your boss is making that kind of statement to you. Or look at Joseph, um, the, grand, the, the, the son of Jacob, who ends up for a time serving as a, as a slave in the house of a guy named Potiphar in Egypt. Now, Joseph was on his way to his destiny unfolding and becoming the second most powerful man in, in the world. But, but at this time, he's a slave in the house of Potiphar, but still living under the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Potiphar said, or Scripture says, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and the field. Potiphar's blessed just by the fact of Joseph's presence. Or Later, when Jacob moves to Egypt to escape a famine and to live under now the authority of his son Joseph, 
Uh, Jacob is brought in before Pharaoh, arguably the most powerful man in the world, and we're told Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And they had a conversation, and then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. I just find it interesting. Those of us who have been blessed by God have a unique opportunity to bring blessing to all all the people that we're doing life with in this world. My guess is that many of you have had similar experiences to these guys. That the fact of your presence and your words and your actions bring blessing to others. You should expect this and not be surprised by it. We are in fact blessed so that we can be a blessing. See, you just kind of blessed me. It wasn't a strong blessing. It was a meager blessing. But it, I feel... Now you're going to make me cry. All right. So I want to talk for the rest of my time today about how to intentionalize giving a blessing to others. And uh, I, I want to do it using a construct, or the construct actually, found in the book, The Blessing. And I'll use this framework as, uh, in, in, in which to add my own thoughts on, on this subject, okay? So there are five elements of blessing that are detailed in this book, The Blessing. I'm going to hopefully get through three of them today, and then we'll pick this up next Sunday with the other two or maybe other ones I don't get to today. So here's the first element of the blessing. It's meaningful and, note the word, appropriate touch. So here's from the blessing. Meaningful touch was an essential element in bestowing a blessing in Old Testament homes. Each time the blessing was given in the scriptures, a meaningful touch provided a caring background to the words that would be spoken, kissing, hugging, or the laying on of hands were all a part of bestowing the blessing. When you read the story of um, Isaac blessing Jacob, he, he touched him and he, he kissed him, a father to a son. When Jacob later himself was blessing Joseph's sons, his grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, we're told this. I offer this just as an example of where this comes from. Israel said, now Jacob's name has been changed to Israel. Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. These were his grandchildren. And Joseph, their father, brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees. Evidently, they sat on his lap and bowed down with his face to the ground. Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head. Now, I know this isn't typically what we talk about here on a Sunday morning, but nonetheless, in, this, in the context here of family, which is important because you have to talk about meaningful touch in terms of appropriateness, obviously. In the context here of family, this is a grandfather who is showing affection to his grandchildren and laying his hands on them as he blesses them. In the New Testament, when people brought children to Jesus so that he could bless them, we're told in Mark's gospel that he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, obviously, meaningful touch is only meaningful when it's appropriate, and appropriate is relative to the relationship and the environment. So... I'm not going to spend any more time on that because hopefully that will be commonsensical to us. But with the word appropriate in mind, let's look at the power of meaningful touch. And I think that, that, that most of this is centered in the concept of the family relationship. Um, what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm extracting largely from uh, this book, The Blessing. 
There's important symbolism uh, which uh, accompanies our touch. For instance, the laying on of hands. But that's not the only reason that God made this a part of the blessing. Meaningful touch also communicates blessings on a, a, a physiological and psychological level. One-third of our five million touch receptors are centered in our hands. Uh, Dolores Krager, a professor of nursing at New York University, who's done uh, numerous studies on the effects of laying on of hands, found that both the toucher and the one being touched receive benefit from this practice. The fact is that when one, and this is someone studying laying on of hands in the context of medicine in terms of helping to bring healing to people, uh, uh, Dr. Krieger found that hemoglobin levels in both people's bloodstreams go up during the act of laying on of hands. And as hemoglobin levels are elevated, body tissues receive more oxygen. The increase of oxygen energizes a person and can even add in the regenerative process if he or she is ill. A study at UCLA found that men and women need 8 to 10 meaningful touches a day just to maintain emotional and physical health. They even estimated that if some type A driven men would hug their wives several times a day, they could increase their lifespans, the huggers' lifespans, by almost two years. It'll also help your marriage, guys. Researchers at the University of Miami Medical School began giving premature babies 45 minutes of massage each day. Within 10 days, the massage babies showed 47% greater weight gain than those children who were not regularly touched. A second study showed that actual bone growth of young children who had been deprived of parental touching was half that of children who received adequate physical attention. Wherever you live across the United States, Trenton Smalley write, you may not come from a warm, affectionate background. There's a sociologist named Sidney Jurand who studied the touch behavior of pairs of people in coffee shops around the world. The difference between cultures was staggering. In San Juan, Puerto Rico, people touched an average of 180 times per hour. My son's lucky he married a Puerto Rican. In Paris, France, it was 110 times per hour. In Gainesville, Florida, two times per hour. In London, England, zero times per hour. Now why do we look at a Latin culture and talk about warmth and we look at our friends in London and talk about, I don't know, what's the opposite of warmth? Cold, I don't know. You, you get a picture here of this, right? I have to tell you that, that where I grew up in the Midwest, we were not huggers, and I think some of this is generational. We were not huggers, we were not kissers, we were not physically affectionate. Uh, 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 it, it, it was very common, uh, and, and I'll go ahead, I probably shouldn't say this, I don't want to make you feel bad, Dad, but I'm going to try to be honest in this whole thing. I remember when I turned about 12 years old, one day my dad shook my hand and he said, son, from now on we're not going to hug, we're just going to shake hands. That was the way things were in the world I was from. Well, as I grew older, and especially as I moved to this part of the world around so many other cultures, and I watched all my, I'd go to my Italian barber. Yes, I used to go to the barber. And after, after about 10 or 15 years of going to this barber, he, when I walked in, this very masculine man who had grown to like me would kiss me on the cheek. The first time he kissed me on the cheek, I thought, I'm going to slug this guy. But I, I'll tell you what, it grew on me until I've become with my sons, with my dad, with my mom, you know, I reverse the curse. We forget the handshake, we, we hug, we kiss, we, this is part of the family thing. And this is part of the family blessing. Every family is going to express this in different ways, but I've learned from other cultures and from many of you that this is one of the great joys of life in the context 
context of family. It's, 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 it's interesting, by the way, that when Scripture talks about the foundational teachings of Christianity in Hebrews chapter 6, one of the six foundational teachings of Christianity is the laying on of hands. There is something incredibly powerful, something potent about touching someone, giving affection to someone you love. So you may say, and please don't get offended at me, type A guys, I'm one of you, I'm with you, I get this. You may say, but I'm not, I'm just natural, I'm just not an affectionate person. To which I would say, frankly, and with all kindness, get over it and learn how to be affectionate to your wife and to your children and to show them your blessing in this way. I mean, there are a lot of challenges we face in life. Learning to be affectionate and meet that need that exists in the human beings that you're close to should not be that big of a hurdle for us. We can surely learn how to figure that one out. All right, here's the next thing. It's a spoken message. A spoken message. So, in Scripture, the family blessing hinges on a verbalized message. It wasn't a blessing unless it was verbally communicated. You didn't read someone's mind. You know, it's, 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 it's not like the couple that was having marital issues about 35 years into the marriage and the counselor says to him, you know, when, when, when's the last time you told her that you love her? And he said, I, I told her on, uh, when we stood before the altar on the day of our wedding and I haven't changed my mind. I mean, this isn't, this is, the, the, you, you're not supposed to try to figure out whether or not the other person loves you, you, you verbally communicate it. It's the way this works. And when the blessing was given uh, from Abraham to Isaac, he spoke it. When Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob, he spoke it. When Jacob gave the blessing to his son, uh, to all of his sons, uh, and, and then to his grandsons, he spoke it. The blessing has to be spoken. Remember that the wisest man who ever lived said the tongue has the power of life and death. We have the ability through our words to speak life to people. Our words can bring a blessing or our words can bring a curse. In the New Testament, James said, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The, the fact is that our words create reality. I've, uh, uh, in the past, talked about a, a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? That's actually what the movie's called. It's a movie about quantum physics and the relationship between God and science. And in this movie, there's a vignette about an experiment conducted by a Japanese scientist. You've probably heard about this. He wanted to determine if and how droplets of water responded to positive and negative energies in the form of words. And he put water droplets in two separate jars. And to one jar, only positive words were spoken. Words like, I love you, and thank you. And in the other jar, only negative Negative words were spoken, words like, I want to kill you, and uh, you make me sick. And believe it or not, and this is well documented now, you can research it yourself, researchers found a significant difference between the responses of the sets of water droplets. Somehow, the water droplets in the positive jar transformed into beautiful shapes, and the appearance in the negative ones somehow turned, turned ugly. And the narrator uh, in the movie says, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? If thoughts or words can do that to water, imagine what thoughts or words can do to us. 
The fact is that if we're going to be blessing givers, we are always finding a way to convey a blessing through our words, speaking life to other people. What a powerful thing it is. Even if you're just, even if you're just thinking about this in terms of your impact in your workplace, you are always a blessing giver. You have been blessed so that the world can be blessed in you. You do not speak death, you speak life. You are not a negative, critical person. You are a positive, faith-filled person. You do not speak about the worst you see in others. You speak about the best you see in others. You're not judging people as somehow having negative intentions every time perhaps they don't say or do things exactly the way you think they should. You, you have a different view of life. You speak positive intentions into their life by just constantly being a life giver through your work words. And sometimes, if not most of the time, we speak words of blessing in spite of what we actually see. This is part of the beauty of what Paul said to the Romans when he said he's talked about God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is part of what happens when you're a life giver. You speak life into dead things. We don't just bless our children when they're already living up to what we hope for them. We bless them in spite of what we see. We don't just speak good things to people who somehow have earned it, who somehow have deserved it. Because when it's all said and done, all of us are going to fall short in some way. We speak blessings to people in spite of what we see, understanding that our words have prophetic power. And I wish I had time to get into this today, but I encourage you to study you know, the subject of, 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 of self-imposed prophecy, how the, the things we say about ourselves create reality. There's so much research around this. But not only that, there's also others-imposed prophecy, which is that what we constantly speak over people, and especially those who are close to us, have power to create reality. So if you don't like what you see, don't curse it, bless it, and the blessing will help bring to pass the very best possibility. I feel like preaching today. I don't know what the deal is. I usually do feel like preaching. And here's the third and final thing I'll talk about today. It's attaching high value. Now, this should be pretty obvious by now, but let me spend a few times around this and let me, let me close with this thought. One essential element involved in blessing someone is to let them know then how much you value them and want to add value to their lives. The first idea that comes from the Hebrew word to bless is to bend the knee. When we bless someone, it's as if we bow to them and say, I recognize you as a person of high value and great worth. In Scripture, we're called to bless the Lord, and that's what that means. It, it, it means that we bow before Him and we acknowledge His infinite worth. Well, when we bless people, we're acknowledging their God-given worth. Now, we're not literally bowing before them, but words of blessings should, should speak as to how you feel about the worth, the value of the person that you're blessing. It's interesting that when God would make covenant with people often in Scripture or bless them, he would sometimes change their names to reflect how he viewed them and to reflect his sense of their worth. So Jacob, who was a deceiver, and the name means deceiver, when God uh, gave him his blessing in that famous scene where Jacob wrestled with God, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel means uh, he who wrestles with God or he who triumphs with God. 
This was God changing his view. Now, we don't, we don't uh, typically think about names in the way that they did in the Near East and what they mean, although I think there's more of that going on now. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like, the, 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 but you can mess that up too. It's like the guy who, uh, who talked about how that he and his wife wanted to uh, give their kids biblical names, follow tradition and give biblical names, and he said, uh, please meet my sons, Cain, Lucifer, and Judas. So that, we may not convey high value through what, how we, that was bad, how we name our children, as often happened in biblical times, but we find ways to convey value through our words and actions constantly. I used to call one of my sons Boudreaux. I have no idea why. I have no idea where I came up with the name. I have no idea what it means, but I, w I would call him when he was little, I would call him Boudreaux. It was a pet name. And one day he said, Dad uh, or Daddy, what does that mean? And uh, of course, I had no idea. I'd made it up. So I just made up a meaning. I said, it means good boy. And from then on, uh, I, anyway, nonetheless, somehow or another, we were conveying value in the way that we treat another. Now, I believe that one of the things we must teach our children and convey to others who we want to bless is that God considers each of us worthy of his love. I've talked several times now about how couple of years ago on my study intensive, I read a book uh, by Dr. Brene Brown, an expert in shame research, and I read it, frankly, because there was a young woman on our staff who was a big fan of Brene Brown, and I was just trying to understand better the mind of a young woman and, and try to understand what was it that spoke to a woman that perhaps I didn't get. Just to be frank, I was just reading it as an intellectual exercise to learn how to be a better communicator. And I start reading this book, and I found myself, as have millions of other people now, so moved by the work of, of Dr. Brown, who is a believer, though the book wouldn't be considered a Christian book. She is a, a believer. And I, I was so moved, especially her discussion of the subject of worthiness. Worthiness. Now hang with me for a minute. I'll bring this back to a, to a biblical perspective. But she, she talks about wholehearted living and she says wholehearted living is about engaging our lives from a place of worthiness. Those who feel lovable, who love, and who experience belonging simply believe they are worthy of love and belonging. She has, in her book, Daring Greatly, a wholehearted parenting manifesto. It's a couple pages long, but it begins with these statements. A mom saying to her child, above all, I want you to know that you are loved and lovable. You will learn this from my words and actions. The lessons on love are in how I treat you and how I treat myself. I want you to engage with the world from a place of worthiness. You will learn that you are worthy of love, belonging, and joy every time you see me practice self-compassion and embrace my own imperfections. I, I grappled with this idea of worthiness because as a, as, a, as a believer, as a Christian, I have an understanding of grace. And grace says that God chose to love us because he chose to love us, not because we are worthy. This is an, without a proper understanding of grace, there is no Christianity. There is no need for Jesus. Jesus came and did something that we didn't earn, that we didn't deserve. And so I'm, I'm trying to balance these concepts in my mind. And all of a sudden, it hit me a couple of years ago. And frankly, it was a big moment for me. And I've thought about it a lot since then. The fact is, I am worthy because Jesus decided that I was worthy of his love. I didn't earn it. It's a decision that he made. Paul said to the Romans that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while I was still a sinner, Christ 
died for me. For whatever reason, God looked at each one of us and gave us tremendous worth. So much worth that he sent Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God decided that we are worth loving. And I think that one of the most important things that we must do for our children is to teach our children that they are worthy of love and belonging because God said they're worthy of love and belonging. That God said they are fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder what it says about God if we live feeling unworthy of love and if we particularly live as so many people do, full of self-loathing. Important to this is the idea that this kind of love is unconditional. Note that he, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, he considered us to be valuable enough to send Jesus to die for us. While we were still sinners. One little final thing about this is there's a, uh, David Brooks wrote a wonderful book called The Road to Character. And uh, in it, he, he talks about parents building character in their children. And he talks about two defining features of child rearing today. The first is, he says that children are now praised to an unprecedented degree. The fact is, what I've said about speaking words uh, over our children that are words of, of blessing, uh, 20 years ago, that message was probably more needed than it is today. I think most of us on some level get this. It's good to be reminded of it. He says, children uh, are, aren't raised, they are incited. They are given food, shelter, and applause. Children are incessantly told how special they are. But he said the other, the other uh, defining feature is that children are honed to an unprecedented degree. Parents spend much more time than in past generations grooming their children, investing in their skills, and driving them to practices and rehearsals. These true great trends, greater praise and greater honing, combine in interesting ways, including, he said, often parental love becomes merit-based. It's not simply, I love you, it is, I love you when you live up to my expectations. And finally, enormous internal pressure is generated by the growing assumption that it is necessary to behave in a certain way to be worthy of another's love. Underneath, the children are terrified that the deepest relationship they know will be lost, the parental relationship is supposed to be built upon unconditional love, a gift that cannot be bought and cannot be earned. It sits outside the logic of meritocracy and is the closest as human beings come to grace. If I could go back and fix one thing from my parenting in the early days of being a parent, to be frank, I would work more on setting high expectations and confessing the best over my children while at the same time working just as hard to say, but it doesn't matter, you know, what this looks like in your life. I unconditionally love you and accept you. To where they know deep in their being that they have high value and deep worth in spite of whether or not everything that God's even promised in their life comes true. The reality is it ultimately I'm speaking those words but at the same time I'm working just as hard to say but while you're on the journey, when you slip and fall, when you're not conducting yourself in ways that I might hope, it, you never need to question this. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. I bless you. I love you unconditionally. You are accepted. You are valued. You have great worth. You have great worth not because you did the right thing. You have great worth because God decided that you are worthy of love and belonging.